You're listening to a sermon from Free City Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We exist to extend the glory of God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. My name is Amber Stewart, and I've been part of Free City Church for about three and a half years. Um, I go to the Stewart Weininger City Group with... Yeah, all those people. On Monday nights, we would love to see you. Um, if you're not part of a city, they'll probably say this at the end. If you're not part of a city group, find anybody out front and they'll tell you all the options that are meeting during the week. You really should. Uh, today, we, oh, I'm also on the prayer team and the worship team. So get involved. Um, today, I'm going to read from Hosea chapter 12, verses 2 through 6. And in the black Bibles that are in the pews, that is page 709. The Lord's Indictment of Israel and Judah. The Lord has an indictment against Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways. He will repay him according to his deeds. In the womb, he took his brother by the heel, and in his manhood, he strove with God. He strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He met God at Bethel, and there God spoke with us. The Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord is his memorial name. So you, by the help of your God, return, hold fast to love and justice, and wait continually for your God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father God, we just love you. Thank you so much for this opportunity to come together and to worship you. And I just pray that we will never take that for granted, that we can always get together. We can always worship you. Um, I pray today for the sermon. I pray for Ryan as he gives us your word that he would just feel boldness and peace and that he would be the vessel that you would um, just use him to give us the word that you want for us this morning. I pray for this building that we get to meet in every Sunday for all the students and teachers and faculty and staff and administrators who meet here. God, I just pray for peace. Um, Give them your comfort. I pray that they would feel your presence during their days. And when they feel overwhelmed, I pray specifically for one person that they feel drawn to, to go to, who will point them to you so that they can learn about your rest. (laughs) I was thinking this morning, I remember two years ago on this day, that we were all overwhelmed and praying that the changes in the world would be very short-lived and minor. And then one year ago today, we were begging and pleading for you to do a work that looked a little bit like today. So God, we're so thankful. Praise you for what you've done, for the answered prayers and the ways that you're working to just dilute this pandemic and allow us to all be back together. And now as we watch the news again, we feel hopeless and we can see things changing in the world. And so I just pray for the words that we just read in verse 6. God, we hold fast to your love and your justice and we wait continually for you. Amen. Good morning. Hot mic. My name is Ryan. I, uh, I've been with Free City for about just over six years. Super exciting. We've been here for a while now. Um, uh, lead a city group, uh, Davis Miller City Group, the best city group around. I've said that before, and I still mean it. Uh, so Thursday nights. But yes, join a city group. That's the most important thing that we can do is be in community with one another. Um, this morning, I... Um, 
Yeah, you guys are awesome for two reasons. One, uh, daylight savings time, we did it, right? That, that was rough. My parents had our kids last night. I got four young kids. My parents had them, right? Yeah. Mommy, daddy, party time. All right, uh, in bed by nine, it's truth. Um, but so I, we, we changed all the clocks the night before, like on the stove, the microwave, and all that kind of stuff. And, and so like we, I woke up this morning, I'm like, gosh, the clock says eight o'clock, but I feel really tired. <laughs> I don't know why, because it's weird. Right, so we did that. And then um, spring break, right? Woo! Uh, thank you for being in town for spring break. Uh, when I was in high school, uh, after spring break, the teacher said to the, oh, one of our classes, she's like, where'd everybody go to spring break? And this girl in the back was like, I went to LA. And I was like, oh, really? She's like, Lawrence area, what, what? <laughs> so... All of our LA people, let's do it, let's do it. Um, This morning we're gonna be, um, our kind of thesis of this morning is gonna be out of Hosea, but really we're gonna be kind of looking back at the story of Jacob. Uh, Jacob, uh, in the Bible, he is one of the three patriarchs, right? You go Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob, right? He's kind of the last of the big three patriarchs because after Jacob, all of his sons then become the 12 tribes of Israel, which then become the nation of Israel, which then becomes uh, the, the line in which Jesus actually comes from. So when we look at the story of the Old Testament, it's actually the story of the family that Jesus will eventually be born into, at least earthly. So it's a really important story to have. Um, and, and so as we look at the Old Testament, which is full of rich story that gets to the heart and character of God, And in Genesis specifically, right, Genesis meaning the beginning, the story is how God began to call and separate his people to be a different people. And so it's what what we're going to look at this morning is one man, and we're going to look at his life, and we're going to kind of go through the whole life. So I will be really just verse by verse going through about Genesis 25 to about 32. So buckle in. No, I'm kidding. Joke. Okay, they don't get any better. So please just laugh at that one. That's, the, that's where I set the bar. So okay, there, there we go. Now, uh, as we look at Jacob's life, I wanna kind of, before we just jump right into the story, I wanna um, mention a couple of things. One is every story of a human outside of the person of Jesus is a story of a deeply, deeply flawed person. Um, right? So uh, Pastor Gary, about a month ago, talked through about Abraham. If we remember that, it's on the podcast, if not. Um, but as we looked at Abraham's life, and this is something that stuck with me, he kind of, uh, he, he looked at Abraham's life as kind of like a, a, a pulsometer. It's like the up and down, up and down, up and down, right? That's the, he did really good, and then he just said his wife's his sister. And then he did really good, and then for some reason said his wife's his sister again, like for whatever reason, right? He, there's, there's ups and downs and ups and downs in his life. His son, Isaac, is a deeply flawed person, right? He did the same thing his dad did, which was say that his wife was his sister. It's ups and downs and ups and downs and ups and downs. Jacob, however, is crazy flawed. I mean, like, there's no reason to look at his life as a moral example at at all, right? So just so as we talk about the story this morning, let me just kind of go through this, kind of what we will see this morning. We will see bribery, lying, stealing, incest, polygamy, pride, and someone who literally fights God, 
muscle, boom. It's crazy. This man is so headstrong, he reminds me of somebody. I can't think it is. Oh, yeah, myself is who he reminds me of. Because what we're going to look at Jacob is he, he wants to be a self-made man. And though he claims God, he also, all of his effort is towards his goals and his ends. Until finally, literally broken by God, he sees him. It's a very cool story. It's a cool story. In, in our city group a, a, a few weeks ago, as we're talking through Ecclesiastes, which we're just pausing, we'll get back into it ne- next week. There'll be meaninglessness next week. This week is very meaningful. Um, that was a good joke. That was a really good joke. Um, but we were talking through like what our, uh, what our favorite books of the Bible was. And, and mine has just, every year, for the past about eight years, I've read the Bible every year, just very consistently. And then there's those like first few months where you're just in Genesis all the time, right? I just fall in love with this every time I read it over and over again. Like the story of these deeply flawed people that begin the story of Jesus's family eventually and how God through people's flaws and through people's errors and through people's sin protects this people to get to his son. That's a, that's a really cool story. And Jacob is no... Um, no exception to that. It's, a, it's not a story of how, how wonderful Jacob is, but rather how God calls and redeems and reconciles sinful people to advance his kingdom here on earth. That is how he wins his kingdom, by reconciling himself to sinful people. So before we jump into the story, um, I just want to throw a few context notes, okay? So first, Hosea, the book of Hosea, which we kind of are using as our thesis this morning, was written about 750 years after the time of, of, of Jacob. So what that means is this. This is a deeply known story. So what Hosea is going to enable us to do is get this maybe 30,000 foot view of, of the, the story of, of Jacob, right? So if you look in those just brief five verses that we're going through this morning, it gets to, hey, Jacob was flawed. Jacob did this wrong. He did this wrong. And this is what we should do. So uh, Hosea is helping us get through this this morning. Um, And then Hosea 2 real quick mentions this. He says, the Lord has an indictment against Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways. This is important. So Judah is one of the split kingdoms. It's, it's the tribe of Judah, but it's one of the split kingdoms when there's kind of this civil, civil split, civil war within Israel. Most of the tribes went with what's called Israel, and then Judah kind of split out. And so what's important to say is this, is, is Hosea is writing to a time, and so he can be talking about Judah the tribe and Judah the nation at that point. He could be talking about Judah the person back 750 years ago, which Judah has a lot to kind of directly do. But what I want you to see is this. He says, this I have, an indictment against Judah, and I will punish Jacob according to his ways, meaning Jacob's ways, Right? This is what it means. Hey, I don't just got an issue with you. It's actually the the whole tree is poisoned. He's really making a point to say, hey guys, if we are are sowing our our, our family tree, we're sowing it in poison soil, except for what we're going to get to in six, which is God. 
right? So that's, it's important for me to us, for us to know that as we go on. So he's literally personifying the people of Israel in these two guys, Judah and Jacob. So let's do this. Let's pray, and then we're just going to jump in. Hmm. God, thank you. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for, uh, gosh, thank you for Jesus. Because without him, um, my life would look uh, just like a lot of effort and striving for nothing. So God, would you, um, this morning as we unpack your word, would you just show us um, through the story of Jacob that, that, that all of our striving and effort God, for, for vanity, for, for, for earthly things, is, is found meaningless in your sight. And would you just open our eyes to love and justice and show us how to wait for you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So, okay. So we're going to do two things this morning is um, I, w- I want to go through just this is the question. If you're taking notes, so here's our kind of main two points. We're going to kind of leave with this. One is a statement and the other is a question, okay? So the statement that we're going to look to is God is sovereign over all, his will prevails. It's a pretty general statement, right? And we'll talk through that. And then the, the, the second one is a question. Hey, what, what is your striving producing? What do you produce out of your personal strife? So, Let's turn in Hosea. If you have books, uh, fingers in the book of Hosea, we're going to look at verse 3. Okay, so we're talking about Jacob here. Jacob is the son of Isaac, who is the son of Abraham. Like I said, he's one of the three patriarchs. Up until this point, Jacob, uh, or, or the family of God, so if you think back to Abraham, the promise and the covenant of, of God to Abraham was that Abraham would be the father of many nations. Up until this point, Abraham had one son of promise, and that was Isaac. Isaac had two sons, we're going to talk about it, but only one is actually the son of promise and son with the blessing, and that's going to be Jacob. So up until this point, what we've seen is a family tree that looks a lot like a twig. Nothing branching yet. And so you think in your life as you try to put effort to things, hey, I'm not really producing this, I'm not really producing this. What we're going to see is Jacob kind of fighting and clawing his way to be the one that is significant. And he's looking for significance, and he's a fighter. So where we're going to start is we're going to start in verse 3, which is going to be in the middle of the story. So this is where it is, Hosea chapter 12, verse 3. In the womb he took his brother here, his heel, and by his manhood he strove, in his manhood he strove with God. He strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to imagine a uh, kind of this, this kind of flat prairie land, right? And, and up ahead is this kind of, and it's kind of like a marshy, marshy land a little bit. There's, this is where we're going to grow some things. But up ahead is, is kind of a little bit of a, a brook and a stream. And across of that is, is a hill that kind of inclines like this, okay? And over that hill is another land, okay? And so Jacob, with his entire family, or at this point he has 11 sons, four, uh, two wives, two concubines, 
um, and then some servants, and they're kind of making their way towards this kind of opening. Behind him is where he's been, and that's his father-in-law Laban's place. He can't go back. Ahead of him is where he needs to go, and that's to his home. But that's where his brother Esau is. He can't go ahead. So he does something, and when I said Jacob's deeply flawed, I don't understand the choice he makes. So the choice he makes is he says, all right, in kind of two different camps, I'm going to send you all, except for me, over the stream and go towards Esau. And what I want you to do is I want you to go toward Esau and kind of grovel at his feet and say, hey, we are your servants. We are your, yours now. You know, all this kind of stuff. And so Jacob sends his family over there. And as he's in this kind of clearing, it's, it's this like muddy brook and stream. It's, it's, it's a, not a fun place to be if you like, unless you like mud and gross. And then you have to kind of hide over. And as he's, he's there, what he sees in the distance is a man approaching. And Jacob, and I don't understand this, this like inclination at all, but Jacob says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to fight that guy. I don't know, like you do, I guess. That's what you do. So uh, he says, I'm going to fight that guy. And as that guy kind of approaches and he says, and you know what? I'm going to get a blessing out of it. I'm going to get a blessing out of fighting this guy. And so what Jacob does um, is once that guy comes, he says, all right, we're wrestling, and you're going to give me a blessing. And the guy's like, huh? And then Jacob tackles him, right? And then he, I, this is how I imagine it, because uh, I'm a younger brother, Jacob's a younger brother, and this is how younger brothers fight. We cling on to something, and then we kind of deadweight it, right? We're like, oof. You can't move me. That's how, like, I have two older brothers, and, and like, uh, in the days where there were these things called cordless phones. No, 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 not cell phones, but cordless phones. And we all had girls calling into the house. If we wanted to take property of that phone, what we would do is, I would do at least, I would take that phone, tuck it into my chest, and then lay on the ground and just, like, go limp. Ugh. You ain't prying anything out of these cold, dead hands, all right? This is my phone. My lady's going to call me here, right? And that's what Jacob does. Imagine Jacob fighting this guy. I imagine this guy to be pretty muscular for who we find out him to be later, right? But he grabs onto his leg, I feel, and he's holding it. He's dead waiting, and he's like, give me a blessing. Give me a blessing. Give me a blessing. I wonder in this time if Jacob thinks back to maybe a story his mom told him. You see, when uh, Rebecca was pregnant with Jacob and his brother Esau, they're twins, she, uh, she felt something inside of her that's just like, it's not like the normal butterfly kick thing. My wife's been pregnant several times, so I know what that feels like from the outside, not the inside. That would be weird. Um, but... It's not, we're not seahorses, so it doesn't work that way. You're going to Google seahorses later today. Um, so as, we, as she feels it, it's like there's raging. And so what the Bible says is Rebecca sought the Lord on this, and there was a prophecy given to her. And this is what the prophecy says. This is found in Genesis 25. Two nations are in your womb, and two people from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. So prior to an ultrasound, prior to a sonogram, this is how you found out you're having twins. Congrats. Yay, we did it. 
It's like I, we've been watching a lot of Encanto lately. Like it came out like two months ago. I watched it 20,000 times already. It's, we set the record. Uh, but uh, there's the scene, no spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, watch it. I don't think I'm spoiling anything. But there's this scene at the end where the, the movie takes place around, uh, like this flashback takes place around the turn of the century, because I've definitely Wikipedia timeline of Encanto. Um, you don't want to, anyway. Uh, so there's this thing where uh, the, the, the wife is telling the husband that she's having a baby, and then she has like little cutout papers where you do, and she shows that she's having triplets. And this is where like uh, Magic House, I can believe, in 1899, I just can't believe you know you're having triplets like two months in. I just don't believe it. Disney's unbelievable to me now. I can believe the house that grants magic powers. I can't believe that woman knew she was having triplets in 1899, two months in pregnancy. Sorry to ruin Disney for everybody. So prior to a sonogram, this is how Rebecca found out that she was having a baby. And when the two came out, Esau came out, and the Bible literally describes him as having a fur coat. Look it up. Genesis 25. He says he had, or a cloak, I'm sorry, a hairy cloak is what it says uh, in the ASV. And so he's being born, and this one's first, and this is the one that's typically getting the birthright, and this is the one that probably will fulfill the prophecy given to our grandfather Abraham. And then as he's almost fully out, his last leg comes out, and there's a hand on it, and there's Jacob. Jacob was clawing in the womb and came up second, and he held on. So he was named Jacob, meaning trickster, cheater, supplanter. Why, mom? Why? Why would you do that to me? I was just, it was weird, okay? So he was marked as, at birth as a trickster, holding on to the leg of his brother. Years later, Esau kind of grew up and became a, a person of the land and a hunter. And Jacob, uh, it says he dwelled in tents. That's the Bible's way of saying he was indoorsy. <laughs> um, I don't know what the version of computer games back then was, but that's what he was doing, right? So Jacob kind of was the indoorsy one. Esau was the outdoorsy hunter. Dad loved Esau. Mom loved Jacob. And years later, Esau comes from working the ground, and I imagine that just that hair is probably like dreadlocked hair at this point, just gross and sweaty, and he sits down like the bear man that he is, and he says, oh, I'm hungry. And Jacob's making lentil stew. Yeah, Jacob's hipster. He was making lentils long before anybody else was making lentils. So he's making lentil stew. And Esau says, I will give you anything if I can just eat some of that stew. And Jacob doesn't miss a beat. And he says, okay, give me your birthright. I mean, this man is bold. He's telling the firstborn who they probably told the stories that he was holding on to his leg. He's telling, he's Jacob, the supplanter, the trickster, the cheater. And he's talking to Esau and he says, give me your birthright. Meaning when mom and dad die, even though you might be the head of the family, I have all your things. I have all of it. And then, and the Bible's really good about this. Like you and I speak in superlatives all the time. We say things like, this was the best something ever, all that kind of stuff. We don't mean any of it. The Bible means it. 
The Bible says, name anything up to half my kingdom. And some city says, some lady says, all right, cut off the head of a dude. You know what the Bible does? It makes that guy die. <laughs> we, we, we take vows in the Bible when we mean it. So what Jacob says to his brother is, hey, if you want some soup today, give me what's due to you when dad dies. And his idiot brother says, well, if I don't have soup, I'm dying anyway. So what good is a birthright? Here you go. And he takes it, and then he gets a bowl of soup. And I don't know if you've ever eaten lentils. You weren't satisfied after it. <laughs> I like that very little laughter on that. Years after that, Isaac is, is thinking he is dying. His eyes are growing dim. He, he's getting blind and he says to Esau, he says, Esau, you're my favorite. This is what I need you to do. I need you to go kill an animal for me. And I need you to cook it. And I need you to come. And then once you come with that food, I'm going to eat that food. And I'm going to give you the blessing. I'm going to pass the blessing on from me to you. And Esau's like, absolutely. I will go do it right away. But then Jacob's mom, Rebecca, is outside of the tent, and she hears it. And what she does is she tells Jacob, she says, hey, here's your chance. You should. I'm gonna, you should go kill a goat. Bring it to me. I'm going to make that into a delicious meal for your dad, and I'm going to put uh, Esau's cloak on you so you'll smell like him, and then go in there, and then you'll get the blessing. Esau takes too long when he hunts. You'll get it sooner. And Jacob says, okay, one issue. There's only one issue with that plan, but there's one issue, okay? One issue. I'm pretty smooth, as most indoorsy kids are. He's hairy. What do I do? And then solution to that awesome, wonderful plan of stealing somebody's blessing. I'll just put the skin of the goat on you. Oh, Perfect, mom. Thank you for that. So here comes like uh, cosplay Jacob, right, into the tent wearing a goat suit saying he's Esau. Dad eats the food. And, and, and this is it's so funny. So Isaac says, man, you, you sound like Jacob, but you're hairy, so you must be Esau. <laughs> just like, it's funny to me. I'm sorry. I laugh at these stories. And so what he does is he's in that, in the tent, and then he eats the food, he gets the blessing, and that blessing is that Jacob will be a father of many nations, and his brother will serve him, his family will serve him, and he will be the leader of the family. And then Jacob kind of like, if this was a movie, it would be just right as he exits one flap, Esau comes in the other flap, right? It's like, whew. and then Esau comes in. And he's like, hey, dad, I got your food. And then dad's like, whoa, 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 what? And his dad says, I have no blessing to give you. And Esau like, you have to have something to give me. And so the blessing he gives him is this, is um, you will toil the land and you will serve your brother. Gosh, that's disappointing. So here is where we are. We're at this story of Jacob versus Esau. And Jacob versus Esau, Esau's at this point where he realized his brother has tricked him out of his birthright, and his brother has tricked him out of his blessing, and his brother has now almost fulfilled that prophecy of the, the, the mothers, right? 
And this is what the Bible says in Genesis 27. Now Esau hated the 41, Jacob, Genesis 27, 41. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. So mom hears this. Mom overhears this. Esau is livid about this. And so what, and understand, these guys are 40 at this point, 40 years old. They're not kids anymore. They're grown men. And Jacob is unmarried at this time. And so his mom says, hey, hey, my brother Laban, I think you'll be safe there because if you're here and your dad dies, you're dead. So, I'll create a plan to tell your dad to send you to Laban because I don't want you to marry any of the local ladies. I want you to go back home and marry, you know, a good lady from where Laban's from. And so that's what happens. And as Jacob travels to Laban, fleeing his brother's imminent threats of his life, right? Jacob travels to Laban's, and on the way there, he sees this kind of a uh, place that he can, and can sleep. And during that night, he uh, has a vision. It's Jacob's Ladder. I think you've heard about it before, right? Where you see uh, angels coming, descending from heaven and all that kind of stuff. And, and God's revealing his glory and it's calling Jacob to be of him. And, and you'll read it yourself. So, so I encourage you to read these stories as we talk through them. Fact check me, but this is just wonderful stories. It's just way too much to, to read through in a Sunday morning. But what happens is Jacob says that, hey, God, I'm going to follow you on three conditions. He says, as long as he can stay on the path that he is on, meaning to Laban and to a wife, as long as he has food and clothing, and three, as long as he is able to return to his family, um, his family in peace, meaning after he's done with Laban, gets his wife, and then goes back home, he can do that in peace. And then he says, then I will serve you. To, to recap Jacob's story thus far, it's a, 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 a kind of natural reflex of this kid in a womb to grab the heel to try to get to be first, but he comes in second. It's the um, sitting with his brother across a fire and saying, hey, you want food? Give me what's yours. It's tricking his brother. It's bribing his brother. And then it goes to deceiving his father to get the blessing that would be ultimately not from Isaac, but from God. Jacob is trying at this point to trick and negotiate his way to being a blessed kid. It's difficult. That's why I feel like I'm Jacob sometimes. So now he sees a vision directly from the Lord. He sees the power of God and who all God is. And he says, man, that sounds great. I probably should follow that, but you got to do something first. Actually, three things. You got to get me a wife at Laban's. You got to give me food and clothing. And I stay in them. I'm not being poor. I'm not being destitute. And then you got to get me home in peace. Ah, that's bold, I feel, right? I think that's a better word than other words to say about him. So he calls this place Bethel. This is going to be important. You might want to write Bethel down. 
Bethel means the house of God. And he says, I should remember this place. It's called Bethel. All right, I'm going to remember this place. So then after that, after his kind of big, bold proclamation to God, you must meet me in these three ways, then he gets to Laban. And he sees one of Laban's daughters who is a shepherdess. Her name is Rachel. And he falls instantly in love with her. This is like a, you know, BC rom-com. He says, oh, she's beautiful. And so he sees her instantly. He waters her sheep. And then like he sneaks a kiss. And she's like, ooh. She goes and tells her, dad, dad, I got kissed at the well. It's amazing. He's like, who is this man? It's my sister's brother or son. Yay. Which, by the way, let me just pause here. His mom says, go to my brother and marry one of his. His mom's telling him to go marry his cousin. Okay. Just so we all know that's a little weird, right? Okay, thanks, right? So his mom wants him to marry the cousin. He's there and it's Rachel. And he says, he says to Laban, hey, dude, I would, I would do anything to marry this girl, and Laban's like, well, name your wages. That's how he said it. And then he, Jacob says this. He says, I will work for you for seven years as long as I can marry this girl. And Laban says, free labor. So he says, sure. All I have to do is sell my daughter? Absolutely. She's a daughter. Um, so he does it, seven years, and then it's time for the marriage, uh, the, the marriage feast, right? And, and understand, these feasts lasted an entire week at this time, and so there's an exchanging of vows veiled, then there's going to the marriage chamber, and then after what you do in mommy, daddy, party time, marriage chamber, he realizes, what? This is not Rachel. <laughs> stupid, stupid man. Took him that long, so he realized it's not Rachel. It's actually her older sister, Leah. And he goes out to, to Laban, and he says, Laban, what are you doing? This is not what we agreed upon for seven years of labor. He was 40 when he got there. He's 47 now. I can't waste any more time. And then Laban says, oh, you didn't say Leah? Dude, I'm, my bad, my bad. So how about this? How about another seven years? And Jacob says, yes. So now Jacob, who he said to God that first promises that, that you get me to Laban and I have a wife, is now working his way towards that wife, making it happen. So now 14 years have passed. And now he has both wives. Now he's finally blessed. And now he sees the one that he's been waiting for for longer than ever, Rachel. And then there's... Leah. But here's the thing. Rachel is loved. Leah is despised. But Leah can produce children at this point. Rachel can't. So Leah has kid after kid after kid. Leah is barren and she says, what should I do? Wait, here's what I should do. I'll give you my servant and I'll raise the kid as my own, kind of like an ancient surrogacy taker. She won't be your wife, but the kid will be ours. And Jacob says, okay. So then children come from the servant. And then Leah, who's already had like five kids at this point, says, hey, maybe I should do that too. So she gives her servant. And there's more kids there. And then, then Leah 
has one more kid, but Rachel still has none. And Rachel cries out to God, God, would you just give me a kid? Would you just give me a kid? And then came Joseph. Number 11, Joseph. And so at this point, the Bible tells us this is six years after the second marriage, so 20 years total at Laban's. Joseph is born. Jacob has 11 children at this point. And Jacob is finally ready, because he's had food and clothes this whole time, finally ready to get to that third part of his condition to follow God. I need to go home. And so as he looks towards home, he says to Laban, hey Laban, I think that I should be able to go and because I've helped grow your your wealth of sheep and goats all these years, I think you should send me with my family and with the sheeps and the goats. And Laban says, oh, we'll do a deal, dude, I promise. I'm really good about deals, okay? Remember, don't, don't, just don't look back. I'm really good at deals. And so he says, hey, you can have the striped and speckled uh, sheep and goats. So Jacob's like, okay, striped and speckled. And then what Laban does is he like, uh, for the next year's like birth, right? So we're gonna go breeding season, but typically striped and speckled breed striped and speckled, right? So, so what Laban does is he sends his sons into the field to take away all the striped and speckled when there's only just pure white sheep and goats out there. And then Jacob does this thing where he like peels back some like palm fronds and like some cane and stuff and puts them by the 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 the, the stream and all that kind of stuff because that's where they breed. And then in the end, all of the babies that were born to the pure white uh, ones were speckled and spotted. And Jacob's like, all right, I'm going. And then Laban's son seed and say, hey, he's stealing somehow. He's doing something wrong. And so Jacob takes his stuff, gets his family and kind of hightails it out of there. Laban and his sons are in pursuit Jacob has to leave Laban at this point. As the family flees, Laban catches up to Jacob. And with the Lord's intervention, he just tells Laban, hey, don't touch him. He's mine. And so Laban makes a vow not to harm him. And he lets him go. And so Jacob is going ahead towards his family. Can't go back to Laban, but what he knows is ahead is his brother Esau. And he's at this place called the Ford of Jabbok, and it's this kind of a, a marshy land, and then there's this stream and a brook, and, and there's muddy land, and over it's this hill, and he sends his family over the hill, because what he does is he sends spies across, and he, the spies get to Esau, and Esau says, my brother's coming, I'll meet him there. And then Esau takes a hundred men and come towards him. So Jacob's scared. Jacob's scared at this point. And so Jacob sends his family over, uh, over the stream, uh, over the hill, to go towards Esau to be his servants. Jacob stays back and sees what? A man approaching. And as Jacob sees the man approaching, he says, you know what? I'm going to need all the help I can get to get my brother. This man better give me a blessing because all the blessings I've gotten so far, I've had to cheat and trick my way. Now I'm going to have to wrestle to finally get a blessing from God. 
And he does, and he holds on to his leg, and he, he holds on throughout the night, and the guy's like, hey, you should give up. And he's like, I'm not giving up, never. Muddy, dead waiting, right? That's what we talked about. And then the man touches his hip and shatters it, breaks his hip. But he's still holding on. He says, I'm not letting go until I get my blessing. And then the sun comes up and he says, it's daybreak. We literally fought all night. Give me a blessing. And the man said, who are you? Jacob. I'm Jacob. No, you're not Jacob. You're Israel. See, that's like, oh yeah, that's Israel. Israel means a fighter of God. So Jacob hears this man who he is at this point. This man claims himself as God. And I fought him all night and he changed my name. He's like, all right, I'm good. Let's him go finally. Gets up, very hobbled. Ow! Broken hip. And then he goes towards Esau. As Jacob crosses that stream, remember, he's hobbled. He's going over that hill, and he sees Esau and a hundred men with Esau. He sees where his family kind of landed. He said, all right, everybody get behind me. I'll handle this. I just wrestled somebody for a whole night. I've got energy to deal with Esau, the hairy man that he is. And so he comes out to Esau, and he says, Esau, I am your servant. I will, this is, all of my family is yours now. I just don't have the energy to fight anymore. And Esau says, what are you talking about? He said, I I don't need your family. I've got enough. It's been 20 years. I want to see my brother. And they embrace. Esau weeps. So the third condition is met between Jacob and God that he was able to return home in peace. So now Jacob's at this point, that point that many of us will get to in our lives where we say, all right, God, here's the conditions that I want you to do. You meet them and then you look back on your life and he looks back as he's done it all. So he settles. He settles in the land near where Esau was and his family, and they start to grow. His family continues to thrive. The kids are growing. And then he hears God call him back to Bethel, the house of God, where Jacob made that vow. So Jacob goes back to Bethel. Remembering those three vows that he made. One is that he stays on the path, is on to Laban, done. He has food and clothing, done. And is able to return to his family in peace, done. Jacob, his conditions were met. If you look in Hosea chapter 12, verse 4, we're going to do that second half of verse 4. Here's what it says. He met God at Bethel, and there God spoke with us. The Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord is his memorial name. So you, by the help of your God, return 
Hold fast to love and justice and wait continually for your God. Jacob had conditions on serving God. He placed benchmarks on his commitment until those were met. Jacob, he had a bunch of kids and he had enemies by by his self-reliance and trickery. It wasn't until God called Jacob back to the place of his oath that he realized that the striving of man, his striving has only produced strife. Every relationship in Jacob's life, he has left wrecked. But God had him still. God had him, his destiny, his family in his hands. So it is, it, it, he did it at the wrestling match, but then he's going to do it again at Bethel. And he says, no, 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 I need you to listen here. You are no longer Jacob. Stop it. Stop your striving. Stop your trickery. Stop shutting the world out. Stop shutting me out of your life. Rather, you are Israel. You are the fighter of God. You will use your natural innateness to to fight for what is right. You will use that for my kingdom rather than your own. At the place of his original vow to God that, hey, meet these three conditions and I'll follow you, God says, hey, you didn't even have to say that. I have you. There's no conditions on this anymore. You, I have bought and you're mine. Follow me. Be Israel. Be the fighter for God, of God. See, it's at this point, and if you read the story of, of Jacob, it's at this point where, where Jacob stops being at war with everyone. It's at this point where we start to see the family of God develop. We start to see what the other tribes are doing. And they're flawed, and they need God's intervention. From the time of Abraham, the family tree of God, of God's people needed a boost, right? We talked about this. Abraham had one. Isaac had one heir of this. Now we get to Jacob, and now we see what God has called Jacob to actually be, which is the father of a nation, Israel. 20 plus years after that original vow, Jacob is finally there, and he hears that it's not his effort that's doing this, it's God's. Look at four again. So this is important for you and I for a bunch of reasons, and we're going to get to it. If you look at four, this is what it says. He met God at Bethel, and there God spoke with who? Us. Hosea, this 30,000-foot view, he's able to look at the whole story, and he's able to look at those lessons, and he says, man, in Jacob's story, he's actually speaking to us. So what did God say to us? Look in six. So you, by the help of your God, return. Hold fast to love and justice and wait continually for your God. How do we do that? If you are anywhere like me, my answer to a challenge like that is, okay, here's how I'm going to do it. Ethan talked about this this morning when he was doing his um, 
prayer. I think it was during the assurance time. But for those of us who are children of God, I don't think we understand this. Those of us who are children of God, so if, if that would, if you consider yourself of that, let's, let's just like lean in for like two seconds here. How God sees us isn't by our best day. On the contrary, how God sees us for those who are scared of this isn't by our worst day either. How God sees us is in the person who meets love and justice and waiting for God. It's Jesus. How do you and I get, if we're like Jacob at all, get to like this lesson in our life that all we need to do is, is seek love and justice and wait for the God? We need Jesus. God sees us as Jesus' righteousness. Any, any effort of our own, any effort of Jacob to build his family to the 11, to eventually the 12, right? To build all of that. Any effort of Jacob's part on that, God looked at as like, yeah, that's, no, I'm going to do it. I'm going to bless this. And in, in fact, in spite of Jacob's sin, right, the bribery, the trickery, tricker, trickery, trickery, the, the, the polygamy, the, all that kind of, in spite of all of the flaws of Jacob, God says, hey, guess what? You're mine, and that doesn't change. That's really good news for you and I, and I don't know if you look at that as good news, is that you and I aren't meant to be perfect, but rather what Jacob came to finally in his late 60s was a place of repentance. You and I aren't meant to be perfect, you and I are meant to be repentant. That as we seek the love, that love, that, that, that perfect love that cast out the multitude of sins, that's not found in any of us, it's found in Jesus. We see that, we seek that justice in the world and that justice of God that looks upon sin and despises it, that justice of God that separates him from sin with a giant chasm, that, that, that chasm is narrowed, why? Because of Jesus. And we look to be patient with God and the person who waited for God to move before he moved. Romans says it this way, that at the right time, God chose to die. At the perfect time. That you and I, we want it to happen now. We want more and more and more and more and more. But God would say, You see, I think there's a lot more, um, there's a lot more Jacob in me than I want to admit. Because what I want to do is I want to hear the, the, hear the things I'm supposed to do, shut the world out and just do them and fight and claw my way. So here's the truth. Here's the gospel. Jacob was the father of 12 and those 12 became, within a few hundred years, that 12 would be uh, about a family of 70 people to hundreds of thousands. A few hundred years after that, it's a full-fledged nation in, in its promised land, enough, enough people to have civil wars with each other. It's a significant people in the world at the time that Hosea is writing it. Past Hosea, this people grows, but they become occupied several different times to where we get to hundreds of years after Hosea, you get 
to Jesus. Jesus born um, into a family of Israel, but with divine lineage. Jesus born into that. And then it's amazing. So Jesus, as he grows up, Jesus calls how many? Twelve. Twelve is a significant number in the Bible. He calls twelve, and then he, he dies so that that twelve might grow. It's better for us that he died because then he sent the Holy Spirit. That twelve then grew the church. But here's the kicker. Jacob was the grandson of Abraham. And then if you read any lineage in the Bible, it says so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so. And and you and I, for, for, for different reasons, you and I are here probably for lineages of faithfulness to God. But here's the thing. God has no grandkids. You and I aren't heirs to the kingdom of God through, any, through blood other than Jesus's. And as God looks at us like he looks at Jesus, understand he sees Jesus. And he calls us his sons. It's important he calls us his sons because he sees us as Jesus. There's a striving in our life that is in vain. And there's meaningfulness found in Jesus Christ. That in his love and his justice that stood in our stead to die for the sins that we committed so that we might be forgiven. And so church, can we do this? Can we wait on the Lord? Can we remember that the next time we try to make things happen? Can we remember how to wait on the Lord? How to trust that Jesus has it all When all around you is a world that's pushing you to earn more, be more, do more, drive different. Can we just surrender that at the Bethel, at the house of God and say, God, show me how to wait. What Jacob didn't have and we have is the Eucharist, the good meal. We haven't said this in what, two years, Ethan? This is exciting. We have grape juice and wine up front. Pretty big deal. So here's how it's going to happen as we take the meal and we remember that the body of God, uh, of Christ, broken for us, right? So, so the communion servers are going to take the bread and hand it to you. And then we're reminded of that blood of, of Christ that, that, that cleanses us from this sin, right? He doesn't, it, it doesn't make us perfect in and of ourselves. It makes us perfect in Jesus Christ. And then we, we dip it in that, and it's uh, in the glassware is grape juice, and the stoneware is wine. And then there's the gluten-free option still in the back. As we're reminded of that, we take that meal, and we remember, it's not your effort, right? We're not drinking your, we're not eating your flesh, we're not drinking your blood. This is Christ. This is whose it is. There's another movement, and that's their prayer team will be behind the black curtains. And in that time, that's a, it's a time you can say as little as much as you want that, hey, I don't know what it is to trust the Lord with my destiny. I'm trying to make everything happen. Man, that's a good prayer to have this morning. 
Or it could be for whatever you need prayer for, but, but those are kind of the movements. There's a lot of movement in the room, so if this is not for you, um, and you're, you don't believe in Christ, that's who the meal is for, then we ask you to sit and, and contemplate what, what would that be? What would that be for you? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that through the story of Jacob, we're understood that ours is to seek love and justice and wait for you. Love and justice and wait for you. God, we don't know how to do that in and of ourselves, but you sent Christ to die in our stead. You sent the Holy Spirit that we might be empowered to live as the way of the church, the way of your children, not grandchildren. That we would bring more children into the fold by simply loving, seeking love and justice and waiting for you. God, we thank you so much for this, your good gift. In Jesus' name, amen.